Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to continue in chapter 3. I figure I didn't get fired after preaching on government. Didn't get fired after preaching on submission in the work or submission in the home. We'll just continue on until y'all do fire me. <laughs> we're looking at the, uh, the, the... I thought we were just going to have four subjects for the Lord's sakes uh, sermons, but there's actually, as I got into it, I found out there's a fourth one. The fourth one is subject in... Subject for the Lord's sake in the church. And we're going to see four things in this. We're going to see that we are to be a family. The first thing is going to be clan. We are are a family in the Lord. We're going to see that this is actually the most um, used analogy for the church in all of Scripture. For God's people. It's God the Father, Jesus our elder brother, and we are fellow heirs with Christ. The second C we're going to see is compassion. We are to be to have loving sympathy and loving kindness towards one another. We we hurt with those who hurt, and we 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 have we celebrate with those who are celebrating. We should be so intertwined that your feelings are my feelings, and likewise, my feelings are your feelings. And the third C we're going to see is I've got it in front of me right now. I'm going to look at that one. If it'll work. It's consensus. We're to be like-minded. We're to, be, we're to have the same focus and the same goal as we move forward. And then finally, in verse 12, we're going to see the cause of it all. The cause of it all is that we, we do this for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. I've entitled this message, Subject for the Lord's Sake, Part 4, The Church. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to start in 1 Peter 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 12. Finally, all of you have unity in mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this you have been called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the one that calls us here together, that calls us to worship you, and that calls us to seek you in everything that we have and everything that we are. Father, you are the one who has placed us in this place. You are the one that has given us a calling. You are the one that has given us a hope. And I pray that as we open your word this morning, that your hope, your calling, and your your word would sink into our hearts. That we would serve you better. That we would love you more. And that we would see your will for our life and this church. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. If you look on your outline that I've given you, it's each all of the first three C's have verse eight in them. Well, there's a reason for that. That if you look at verse eight, 
there's, there's five things that are given. Verse 8 says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. So that's A, B, C. Tender heart. Tender heart is the, basically the same mindset, same idea as sympathy. And humble mind is, a, is connected with unity of mind. And so what we're going to do is, I think what Peter's doing is he's giving us a structure, A, B, C, B, A. There's the fanciness of the sermon. We're going to get to the reality of it. So first thing, we're going to start in the middle of that, actually. It says, finally, all of you. So this, let me take a step back. This is why I connected this with the last three sermons. The last three sermons are all about submission for the Lord's sake. And then verse 8, it jumps into the conclusion of that. Now, it will talk about submission in the church when we get to chapter 5. And so I thought that's where we were just going to go in there. But when I got into my study I, and I see this word, finally, it connects it and makes it all together. And so finally is, is an idea of within the church, there is submission, but it's not submission in a hierarchy form. It's submission to one another. It's a mission that we would all live together in, in like-mindedness and as a family. So let's dive into this. We're going to see three, three marks of the church. First C is clan. So finally, all of you have, starting in the middle of my five, brotherly love. Brotherly love. What is this? For the, word, the word in the Greek is phileo. We, we may hear Philadelphia in that, the city of brotherly love. So they get it from the Greek. What does it mean? It, it's the main comparison in all of Scripture. That God is our Father, Jesus is our elder brother, and the church is a family. It means that we should be living a life with one another, not just simply coming one day a week, but we should be so intimately entwined in each other's life that we hurt with those who hurt and we we, we are blessed when the others are blessed. A few scriptures I want to look at. Ephesians chapter 1, chapter one verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to what? Adoption. Family. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Adoption in that culture was even stronger of a uh, of unit, stronger unity than regular biological children were. See, there was actually a a. If I'm remembering correctly, there was actually a way where you could emancipate yourself and, and divorce yourself from your family if you were a biological family member. You could change your name. You could, you could completely divide from that family. But if you were adopted, there's no such thing of doing that. When you're adopted, you're his, period. You're in that family. There's no way to get out of it. And that's what he's saying we are. We are a family of God. We have been adopted into this beloved family. And so in that family, with God as our father, we should have brotherly love for one another. We should have such love for one another that we, that we are... We are living in the way that, that Doyle just read. Meeting in one another's houses, the text said. Day after day. Another text is later on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints. You may be saying, well, wait a second. Citizens aren't family. Keep going. 
and members of the household of God. So no longer are you over here and we're over here. No longer is it the Biddles over here, the Nashes over here, and whatever. You know, it's now we're all one family brought together for the purpose of serving God. So why is that hard? I'm asking all these questions, each, each of these three things. Why is it hard? Well, it's hard because we all have different mindsets. The church is the only place in all of our society that you have people from every socioeconomic class. You have people from every tribe and tongue and nation is the way it's supposed to be. You have people from all walks of life coming together for one purpose, to worship God. And that's hard. When we come together, we have different ways of thinking. When we come together, we have different means of getting to the end goal. And when we come together, it's hard to to show that love because outside of the church, there are people in this room that would never know one another. They would never normally befriend one another. But the church has brought us together. And so that makes it hard. So but what my final question that we're going to look at each of these is what does it look like? First thing we're going to see from Book of Romans is it looks like outdoing one another in honor. Look at Romans Chapter 12, starting verse 10, says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, but serve the Lord. I'll stop there for a second. I talked about honor a few weeks ago and talking about the government. We said in chapter 2, looking down in chapter 2, it said... Fear, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. If you remember, R.C. Sproul said that honor is respect on steroids. So what does it look like to live in brotherly love with one another? Outdoing one another in honor. Even when someone else in the church doesn't honor us, our goal is to outdo someone with respect on steroids. How, how, how clean would the church be if that was our reaction to every time we were wronged? People are wronged in the church. We're a bunch of sinners coming together trying to live life together. We're wrong sometimes. How clean would the church be if every time that happened, we sought to outdo one another in showing honor? Well, the second thing we see from this same text in Romans is caring for one another. It continues. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So not only do we outdo each other in honor, but we seek to be fervent in prayer. We pray for those who have wronged us. We pray for those who we love. We pray for those we've been put in fellowship with. And we seek to care for them. We seek to meet their needs. And this right here is specifically talking physical needs. If there's someone within the church that has a physical need, the first place they should go in a perfect church is the church. It's not the government. It's not the city council. It's the church. We are brought together to meet the needs of one another. We have to see that. That's what brotherly love looks like. One more place I want to go for this. We're going to see that we're to the other way that we show brotherly love is we are encourage or we encourage one another to grow. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another 
to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see what we're supposed to do? Our job as a church and showing our brotherly love for one another is to make sure that we're all in line. That's part of showing brotherly love. If I see that Doyle is riding his car towards a cliff, it is not loving to ignore that sin, to ignore that where he's going. It's loving to jump in front of the car and tell him to stop. Amen? It's, it's the same way if we see someone within the church, someone within the family of God that we've brought, and brought together, see them continuing in sin. What we learned about in Sunday school this morning is that God is serious about sin and that he punishes sin. We have, we have real consequences for our sins. If we see someone within the church running in sin and not, not looking back at God, it is more loving for us to r- jump in front of them. And help them stop. Help them see their sin. That's what we see in Scripture over and over and over. Encouraging them. Specifically in the book of Hebrews, it was neglecting to meet together. Y'all, there's a reality here. We're about 25 people here right now. Two years ago, we were averaging about 50. That means that a lot of people not showing up. What would it look like for us to go and try and get those people back? I have a list of that I'm praying through every single week. I just started it last week. And this list, I pray for every one of you who are here on a regular basis. And then I have a list on Thursday. I don't want you going and trying to find it. But I have a list on Thursday of people we've lost recently. People that are maybe members or maybe aren't members. People that are, are, have not been showing up to church. I pray for them by name. I want to encourage you to do that. And then not only pray for them, but reach out to them. Reach out to them and pull them back. Why? For their own sake and for ours. We need them and they need us. All right, so we've looked at what it is, what it looks like, and why it's hard. Now we get to verse 9. Verse 9 is the opposite. It, it, Peter shows us in verse 9 what will happen or what it looks like when we don't have brotherly love. Verse 9 says this, Do not repay evil for evil. Or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So what does it look like if we don't? The negative, the opposite of brotherly love. We do like the rest of the world does. You chop off my hand, I'm going to chop off yours. That sounds a lot like Old Testament, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Hand for a hand. The world out there says, you did me wrong, I'm doing you wrong. You passed me up for this, I'm going to pass you up for that. It's not what we're called to here. Here, we are called to outdo one another in love. That's what it said in in Romans chapter 12. Here, we are called to, to seek forgiveness. And I want you to notice here, but on the contrary, bless. Why should you bless? For this you are called. Now, so there's, there's a debate from people that are a lot smarter than I am of what, what we're called to do. It seems very simple to me. What it looks like to me is that we are called to bless. Now, other people say we're called to reviling. I, maybe, whatever, I don't see it. But we are called to bless. Who? One another. This is submission within the church. We are called to bless one another. And in the context, 
even when maybe one is backslidden and not doing what's right. That's the co-context of 1 Peter. The context of 1 Peter is being under persecution. And so here he's saying in the church, when we are under maybe even persecution within the church, we should seek to bless one another, outdo one another in showing honor. And here's the main way we're going to see this. It's in forgiveness. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I have this conversation with people all the time. Forgiveness in the church doesn't look like forgiveness in the world. Forgiveness in the world says, I forgive you, but leave me alone. Stay over here. I'm in this lane. You're in that lane. Don't come near me. Don't come near my family. I don't want anything to do with you. But yeah, I forgive you. Forgiveness in the church, according to this text right here, is rooted in the forgiveness Christ gave. How did Christ forgive you? He removed your sins as far as east is from the west. He doesn't treat you as if you have sinned. He doesn't treat you as if you have ever done any wrong, but he treats you as Christ. He would treat Christ. But this is the gospel that, that on the cross, the great exchange happened. On the cross, he took our reviling so that we could take his blessing. And so we are to forgive. Now, that's hard. Let's be honest. We're never going to forgive perfectly like Christ does. But that's our goal. And in fact, we're given a very strong warning right after the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. It says this, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, right? In the Lord's Prayer, it's forgive, uh, forgive our trespasses and those who forgive, trespass against you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. It's a very strong warning. It's a very strong warning for something that we often just skirt over. It's a very strong warning for something that we often just change the meaning of. But we're to forgive like Christ forgives. And that's our goal. Now, are you going to be condemned if you don't meet that goal? Not unless you're not really saved. <laughs> right? Not unless you're not really saved. But that's the goal. He still looks at you like you're his if, if you're not. But the goal is to forgive like he forgives. All right. Let, let's get to the next one. First thing was brotherly love. The second, we're supposed to be family. We're supposed to bless those who, bless, who, who curse us even. Second thing we're going to see is compassion. Remember, we have the, the A, B, C. We dealt with C. Now we're going back to the B. And so it says, finally, all of you have sympathy and tender heart. Have sympathy and tender heart to one another. What, what does that mean? Now, this is the positive side of it. We're going to get to the negative in a minute. So what is it? We share each other's passions and we share each other's burdens. That's what it means. We, we are so intertwined with one another. This is the perfect church, what the church is supposed to aim for. But we're supposed to be so intertwined with one another that if Doyle's upset about something, we're upset. If Harvey's passionate about something, we're passionate about it. If Carly is frustrated with something, we're frustrated. That's what this means. That's what having sympathy and being tenderhearted towards one another means. We share each other's burdens. We, we experienced this uh, in sport, the sports world, right? When, when, when Kentucky lose, wins, we win. And when Louisville loses, we win. 
right? Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Carly. <laughs> uh, Romans 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's the, what we have been called to. We have been called to, to stand up with one another. Now, let me just tell you, I've failed in this. I have failed in this at this church at times. There's been times when there's so much else going on in my life and the life of everyone else that, it, that stuff just gets passed over. I, I would venture to say we all have failed in this at times. But we must do better. We must be better at walking with one another in sympathy and tenderheartedness. So now let's get to the next question. Why is this hard? Why is it so hard to walk with one another in sympathy and tenderheartedness? I'll give you a few reasons. One, we're private. We say, that's none of my business. I don't need to be in their life uh, when it comes to that. Uh, I don't need to get involved in that sin that they're living in. Maybe another, on the other side of it, they don't, well, some people won't open up about their sins. Some people won't open, open up about their struggles. Why? Because sometimes they're ashamed. There's sometimes that we, we do things or we're struggling with something that we don't want everyone else to know because we're ashamed of it. Another reason is fear of rejection. It, if I open up to you and tell you my deepest sins, are you just going to run away and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you? What do you mean you do that? That's awful. Or fear of judgment, which is very tightly connected. Sometimes we don't want to open up about where we struggle because we're fearful that those who are around us that are supposed to be brotherly, in brotherly love with us are just going to reject us and judge us for it. Now, let me just say, it's this, th- this sympathy and tenderheartedness is not normal in our culture. The normal thing in our culture is saying, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not fine. When someone actually st- turns around, this is what it looks like, by the way, I'm getting jumping to that question. When someone actually turns around and says, you know, I've really been struggling with, with this today, and I, I need some prayer over this today, that is completely countercultural. That is completely out of the, the normal for what this world does. But guess what? We're not called to follow the world. We're called to follow Christ and do what he says. And he has told us in his word that we are to live life closer. Garney tells me all the time when we're talking about the church that when he first came, he's probably watching online, although he can't hear me. <laughs> he tells me all the time when we're talking about the church. That, that when he first came to Christ, this is, that's what he thought the church was about. But he went to church after church after church, and there wasn't this close-knit fellowship that was happening. There was coming, paying our dues, and going on about our life like nothing else happened. Beloved, may we repent of that. All of us that struggle with that. Listen, there are things that, that I've put in the schedule this year that are specifically geared towards this. And this may scare you away from actually showing up to those, but this is what they are. When Thursdays, when we meet together for prayer, the, my goal is that we would be able to open up about where we're really struggling so we can grow with one another. Wednesdays, on the final Wednesday of the month, If we get enough men and women, we're going to split up, Chelsea leading one, me leading the other, and we're going to be talking about where we're struggling with sin, where we're struggling in our families, where we're struggling with whatever in our workplace. Why? So that we can grow together, we can pray together, and we want to be a safe place that we can come and be real. May that grow. 
We haven't had enough on Wednesday night to do that yet on, on the final, final Wednesday. That's sad. We've, we've, on our Thursdays, we typically have two to three people there. This past one, we didn't have any. I've placed things in, in, in so that we can do this. But people have to show up. It's just a hard truth. So I've, I've talked about why it's hard. Now let me talk about for a second what it looks like. Galatians 6 verse 2. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what Paul's making the claim here is that when this walking together in sympathy and tenderheartedness, taking your frustrations and your joys upon myself is actually fulfilling the law of Christ. What do you think that means? Well, Old Testament, there are two primary laws. Jesus said this. Love your, the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. In the New Testament, there's a new law that's been given. Anyone know what it is? Love one another. There's a, there's a tight-knit bond that is supposed to happen within the body of Christ. The one another, you can look it up, there's a ton of them in the New Testament. We love one another. And when we do that, we are showing the gospel to them out there. When we show how much we love one another, how much we, we know about each other, and we still love one another, we're showing the gospel. All right, let me get to the, the negative side, the opposite. Is found in verse 10. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Well, how is that the opposite of sympathy? Well, because th- what's inherent in this is when you open up to someone, when you tell them what you're struggling through, instead of encouraging them forward to, to walk with the Lord, we're Judging them. Instead of lifting them up by the scriptures and telling them of of how Christ has fulfilled that in you, we're making them feel ashamed. Now, there's shame in sin. There's shame inherent in sin. But our job is to bring them back to Christ and point them to Jesus. Look at at uh, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up and is fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We are called, when we enter into this type of relationship, when we enter into this this union as a church, we are called to, to bless one another and to build them up. Now, sometimes that does mean calling out sin. I've told, talked about that just a moment ago. But the end goal is always to bring, bring back in and help them curve that sin. James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but, deceive, uh, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's the opposite of what we're talking about here. We're talking about sympathy and, and tenderheartedness. The opposite of that is just speaking evil to everyone according to this. Finally, Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There's one who, whose rash words are like swords thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. May we all strive for that. 
May we all strive to be those that when, when we are in, especially when we're in this community. Now, this is that application outside of here, absolutely. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about this. So may we be those who strive specifically when we are here in this unit, in this church, to be those who seek to bring healing. So we see the first, the first mark of a good, healthy church, according to Scripture, is that we're family, clan. Second, it's compassion. We have to have sympathy and live with one another in an understanding way. The third, final one, is consensus. Positive is found in eight. So, uh, so finally, all of you have unity of mind and a humble mind. So what is it? Philippians 2, 2 says this. Complete my joys by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one another and being of one mind. Does that mean that we can't, if someone puts something up and says we should go here, that we all have to just lay down and be floor mats and say, yes, we should, let's go. We want to be of the same mind as you? No, it doesn't mean that. What it does mean is it means that we don't have to have the same goal. What is the goal of the church? The goal of the church is that we would be seeking the glory of God and the gospel to go forth. Now, Ruthann may have a different view of how that happens than Barbara does. We listen to one another and we recognize that we all have the same goal and the same point where we're going towards. And we discuss with one another. You know, I was thinking about this uh, earlier as I was going through this. Some people in here have a very business-oriented mind. I don't. But some people do. It's good that we have those who are business-oriented and those who are maybe fellowship-oriented in the church. Why? Because both are needed. One is not above the other. It's good that we have that. Why? So that God can use this church to be to its full extent. We need everyone in here to, to come together so that we can have unity of mind and bring in the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's our goal. If we don't have that same goal, we're, we're not a church. If we don't have the same goal of bring God glory and the gospel to the ends of the earth, we're not a church. But if we all have that goal, even if we have different ways in which that comes about, we should be humble enough to, to move whichever way the Lord leads. So why is that hard? Because we all have different ways of thinking about things. I, I, I've Say this often to people when they're, when they're frustrated. They say, well, they just don't think. No, they do. They just think differently than you. Chelsea said that to me, actually. They're just not thinking. Yeah, they're thinking, Jensen. They're just thinking differently than you. And that's okay. It's good that we're not all the same. Because I'm quoting someone, but I don't know who. If me, if there are two people just like Jensen in one church, we only need one of them. Amen? <laughs> can't handle more than two Jensen's, but we only need one of them. So it's hard because we all see things differently, even though we're after the same goal. Even if we want the same end, we have different ways of getting there. What does it look like? The same mind does not mean being mindless. Don't hear me say that. Being of the same mind means having the same end, the same substance. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We, we all believe in the same person and work of Jesus Christ. We all believe that the gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't mean we have to be mindless in how we get there. 
It means we need to come together and see what our church is doing well and what, how we need to get there and what we need to get there. There's not one person in this room who agrees with everyone. And there may not even be one person who agrees with anyone in this room outside of the gospel. But, and that's okay. When we walk, and what we, it's okay because the, the gospel is, is what binds us together. If nothing else does, the gospel binds us together. Now, I've noticed when, I, when we watch the news, I, I very rarely find anyone on the news. I try to watch the news from numerous different sources. I've told you that before. But I very rarely find anyone that I agree with completely. I find, rarely find anyone I agree with at all. Why? Because my underlying morality of what I see as right and wrong is found right here. The vast majority of the world, it's found right here. What does the Bible say about the heart? It's deceitful and wicked above all things. Then no one should trust it. The reason that we can go together, go forward in unity of mind is because we have Christ as our, as our measuring rod. We have the Bible as our measuring rod. Ephesians 4 verse 3 says, we should be eager to maintain unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So what's the negative side of this? Go down to verse, the opposite, of verse, found in verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So the opposite of, according to this, of being unity of mind is seeking evil or division. We should never be that which seeks division, but we should always be seeking peace and moving forward to it, pursuing it with all of our heart. I'm running out of time, and I want to get to this last point because it's, it's the most important part of it all. The cause, the final C, the cause, verse 12. See the positive, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who's the righteous? Those who come to Christ. You're not righteous by your own works. You're not righteous because you did enough good things. You're not righteous because you, you said enough prayers. You're righteous because Christ has died in your place and given you life. But the negative, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Why do we do this? Because we have the same goal. Our goal is for God to be glorified. And when we do this, he hears our prayers. Now, this is maybe controversial, but it's right from the scripture. What's the opposite of that? What's he talking about with the face of the Lord being against those who do evil? He's talking about not hearing their prayers. That's what the scripture says. It's one of the reasons that prayer is so important within the church. Because when we pray for those who are outside the church, God hears us. Sometimes when they are praying, according to this text, the face of the Lord is against them. It means they're not being heard. That's why we must gather to pray, beloved. That's why we must come together as a unit to, to seek the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. Because this is the cause. We're brought together as a church so that God would be glorified and the gospel would be heard. What do we do with this? Four applications. First, seek to love the church more. Real simple. Seek, hard to actually do, but really simple. 
Seek to love the church more. How can that, well, where would that be shown? It'll be shown in the way you talk about the church. The outsiders and among. It'll be shown in what we do between Sunday at 12.15 when I let you go and Sunday at 11 when we start. Who do you hang, spend time with? Who do you call? Who do you check on? All of that is loving the church. The church is not this building. The church is y'all. The church is the people. Love the, seek to love the church more. Two, seek to be more understanding of others and united with them in both pain and victories. When someone is struggling, and I've told you I've failed at, this, at times. When someone is struggling with a loss, we should seek to be there with them. It's not just a call for the pastor, not just a call for the deacons. It's a call for all of us. We should walk with them through it. And when they have experience a victory, we should know, the, know it well enough to find the joy with them. Three, seek to be united with the church more. It's very similar to the first one, but seek to be here. We've, this year, and there's been sickness and sickness and sickness that have messed this up, but every week we have five opportunities to meet together and join in with the church. We need more of y'all to come. Be you, as you can, I know two of those are, are middle of the day and some of y'all work, but seek to come and be united with the church so we can know each other more. Four, remember we do this for the sake of Christ and it's patterned after him. He came and he died and he lived among the people and he purchased the people by his blood so that we could have, they established the church so that we could have this gospel that he has given us go to the ends of the earth. It's all about Christ. It's, this isn't about me. This isn't about our church. This is about Christ. Praise God. If you're here today and you've never turned to Christ or you've, you need to repent or you need to, to see Christ differently today, I'm going to be up front as we, as we end this service, this sermon, with this song that is so fitting, trust and obey. May we trust and obey God more today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For who you are, we thank you that you are a good God that loves us, even though you know us. Father, I pray that in this church that you would unite this church, that you would build this church up for your glory and your gospel, that you would, you would bring us together in brotherly love, sympathy, and unity of mind for the sake of your kingdom and the sake of your glory. Father, if there's anyone here that is having an experience with your spirit today, I pray that you would not let anything get in the way of them seeking you. Anything in the way of them seeing you. But you are good, and we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen.